Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're selling on a regional basis at farmer's markets or just online, and you want to expand your retail distribution, you should look into the courses and webinars from Kitchen to Shelf. Want to learn more about distributors, co-packers, trade funds? Kitchen to Shelf can help you learn what you need to know to grow. More details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. Hi, I'm Steve Clear, and I have with me today, Jean David. Sean is a Santa Barbara resident and entrepreneur. She is the founder and CEO of Outer Isle, a brand that's been going beyond the grain to help more people kiss processed carbs goodbye with gluten-free, grain-free, nutritionally dense, and delicious cauliflower sandwich thins and pizza crusts. With estimates now showing that 75% of Americans will be diabetic or pre-diabetic within the next five years, Sean is also on a mission to show people that they can enjoy their all-time favorite foods while reaping the benefits of anti-inflammatory low glycemic cauliflower. She's going to tell us a little bit more about how that all got started. Welcome to the program, Sean. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. No, no problem. Um, so uh, we had talked a little bit about, about this before, but like many fellow entrepreneurs and founders, uh, your creation of the company and the products actually started more as a personal quest. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, we, my husband and I had, were just trying to get, kind of make a shift in our diet. We were in our late forties and um, just gaining two pounds a year because, and we just realized we needed to do something different. And so we did a doctor directed um, diet, which was really just paleo wasn't around yet, but it was really basically paleo, but um, very measured. And the main the main focus of the diet was protein, fruits, and protein and vegetables with very low glycemic fruits. But right. what what it was was to be measured. And so what what happened when we did this was how the profound impact it had on our brain clarity, our our energy all day. That we we noticed we didn't have like that drop after two o'clock at two o'clock in the afternoon after eating a sandwich for lunch or some or things like that. So we really did a deep dive. Nobody was really talking about this yet. We did a ton of educating ourselves about it. Um, realized it was all about the blood sugar, and our doctor was very you know clear on that. That's what he was trying to do was keep maintain our blood sugar as level throughout the day and not have the spikes up and down. And so um, with that, we just felt like we wanted to, we wanted to eat like this forever, but we did not want it to be quite boring like it was and, and, and quite cumbersome to just eat protein and vegetables. And, and we were not allowed to have salads and count that as anything. <laughs> um, we had to have real vegetables. And so it just made us, really aware of how few vegetables we got in in a day. Um, we'd find ourselves at dinner having to have five servings of vegetables at that meal, you know? Yep. So um, I just, I was in the middle of a career change and really looking for what my the next 15 years of my career would be. And, you know, my, my husband was very supportive and saying, look, just take your time and really figure out what it is that is the best fit and where you really want to spend your time. And I was just at a time in my life where I really wanted to 
to just focus on not not a career and not just taking a job because I needed a job, but what it was that I that I had uniquely the gifts that I had to bring to the world, you know, right. and to focus right. really on what what that would be. And so I, I really spent a year doing it. And um, and anyway, during that time, cauliflower pizza crust was was being seen on Pinterest. So um, Instagram was not yet, Facebook was not yet, which is hard to believe. But um, and so I looked at that and I was like, wow, but if I could get bread, that would be amazing because bread is the carrier for for convenient sure. living, you know, so we could put a tur- you know, some turkey and an avocado and run out the door. And wow, how amazing that would be if that would actually count as one of my servings of vegetables for the day. And two, if I ate a sandwich, um, you know, so, so that was really the, the drive for us was we wanted this product out there. And we felt like, we felt like we knew that low glycemic and this, this whole shift would be coming. And so for us, it's always been about low glycemic. It's not just that cauliflower is cool because when we actually brought the product to market, cauliflower was not cool. We, we were two years before anybody else. So we, we were founded in 2013 and actually hit market in 2015. Um, but we, we had to call it veggie sandwich thins because cauliflower was too on the nose and still pretty offensive <laughs> at that point. Yep. So our first packaging around says veggie sandwich thins and we brought it out in whole foods as veggie sandwich thins. So um, it, it's, you know, it's been, so for us, it was about revolutionizing the bread industry because if there were two things you could do is take out sugar and bread out of your diet and that would profoundly impact your health. And we knew that. Um, And so because of our experience and we're committed to that kind of lifestyle. So, so it was really out of that quest that the product line was born. We we made it a family project. We called it, you know, the the first file on my computer says family project. It's still (laughs) called family project. And um, we had conference calls every week. We have four sons. Two of us are or um, were three of us actually had personal training backgrounds, so we were really into the health impacts of it. We wanted a clean, a clean product, like yep. like all of us do. Yep. And we thought, wow, if we could get this and bring this to market, I mean, I wasn't eating pizzas, and I didn't miss them because they were just so bad for you. But I thought, wow, if I could eat pizza, you know, and feel and be actually having two servings of vegetables, that would be amazing. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, we we did Thursday phone calls, and probably I morphed the recipe. I made I started it all out of my home kitchen, and and formulated the recipe myself, and. Um, and then continued to morph it. It probably took about 75 to 80 iterations for the original. And then even after the original, um, I made two or three after that that have refined it a bit to what it is today. But um, yeah, we just have cauliflower, Parmesan cheese, egg, mm. and nutritional yeast. So nutritional yeast in itself is a, is a superfood. And we have 
the only clean label nutritional yeast that we've been able to find on market. So, um, and Parmesan cheese is super, was super critical because we wanted um, Parmesan cheese is fermented. So you don't get the impact on the gut that ah, regular okay, cheese okay. has. Yep. So um, we, we even, we have an RD who works with us in town and she has clients. And one day she called me and she goes, you do have, Parmesan cheese in your product, right? And I'm like, yes, you know that. And she's like, I know, but I just had to ask again because I have a lactose intolerant client. And she called me and <laughs> said, no, there is no, there can't be any cheese in that product because it has no impact on me, you know? Right, and right. so- and so she knew the whole Parmesan cheese thing and why we cho chose Parmesan cheese and the impact of it and why it's important that that's an ingredient. So anyway, um, it's it's been, you know, we, we thought those things out early on because of what we wanted to buy in a product on the market and, and thought if we wanted to buy this, certainly there'll be other people who want this and who then yeah, the began. Who want it also. And, and John, so you're, 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 you know, the concoction in your kitchen sink, and that's, that's, that's a typical entrepreneurial approach, whatever. But when you go to that sort of the next step where you guys were considering, you know, are we going to sell this in stores? Um, two things. One was that sort of the plan. We we're going to go retail. And then secondly is how did you deal with all of the health issues and certifications? And did you find a commercial kitchen? How'd that all work out? Well, so the, about the first year, probably we continued to refine and pencil it out to see if we could even, you know, if bringing a product of this caliber would even pencil out financially, you know, sure. just if our margins would work. And um, I was working with a consultant to kind of just more of a business guy in town who I'd meet with once a week, more to be accountable and have somebody to talk to about these things. And then um, my husband's really good at finance. He was a tax attorney. So he's really good at numbers. So they were both working on the numbers, which was key. Um, I, I would say the health, the health department and getting that was not a big deal because at that point you can get a cottage you know, certificate for being in your home. We quickly moved into a commercial kitchen. You know, we found ones that we could sublease for a day. And that was, that was always, you know, one day a week is, is kind of how we started. Yeah. Um, and that's what I totally recommend to anybody because it gets you in the rhythm of, of, of a commercial kitchen, which you need, you know, because you're not going to stay in your house forever. So we right. sold an R&D group out of our home, then found our first commercial kitchen that we shared with the caterer. And, um, and then moved into another one. Actually, we were discovered by a forager for Whole Foods before we were actually ready to hit market. Um, we had started selling to a local restaurant who was doing a whole gluten-free menu at the time, which was going to be really interesting and different. And they were going to wanted to offer our pizza crust. Uh -huh. So she, the forager went into, into that store, into that restaurant, and found our product and then contacted us. So we, we, we were very fortunate in that sense that we were able to launch through the Whole Foods foraging program and work with the forager to kind of set our, our, set, our SRP at shelf, which was interesting because we were setting that category, which had, was not there yet. Right. And six ninety nine at the time was even high. 
like the forager was going, you know, your price point is super important. Let's really talk about what, what this category would bring. And um, we were definitely at the high end. And then our first competitor hit market, you know, three years later at twice as much as we were. So it was kind of, it was kind of interesting, but um, we were, we're in manufacturing still, we, we still are the only one in our category that's in manufacturing, but we chose very early on to stay in manufacturing to preserve the quality of our product and to preserve our trade secrets because nobody was baking with fresh cauliflower and we were, you know, right, we right. Yeah, critical 3% fresh cauliflower. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that is it. Um, that is a commitment. Uh, to mm-hmm. retain your own manufacturing because, you know, so many people find that the co-manufacturing for a whole bunch of reasons is, is the way to go, but there mm-hmm. are exceptions to those rules. And you guys obviously, obviously are one of those. Um, also to the, to the foragers or I know the program has kind of restarted, but it's not, it's not quite the same program that it used to be, um, right. but it's brought an awful lot of good products to market. And it's a shame that they've, haven't recognized that they should probably go back and kind of redo it again um, to get that original local uh, find the products. And especially now with so much of the uh, um, so much of the selling and stuff being done more by, by diet type or, or tribe or whatever, you know, you identify paleo, uh, you know, keto, whatever, but it cuts across all the other (laughs) demographics and stuff that we know. You know, it used to be, you know, okay, I, I know who's buying my stuff. They've they've got, you know, gray, long gray hair and Birkenstocks. Well, no, that's that's not it. It's you, you have guys, you know, driving trucks out there that are paleo and right. you know, and young guys, and it's like that, but that's what they do. So it's 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 really cool that you guys were in, involved in that to start with and can and can help work through that. How did you deal with when you wanted to go beyond Whole Foods? Um, did you try to limit yourself geographically or did you say, you know, I want my next place is new seasons or whatever, because I think that's where my, my people are shopping. Um, mostly we, we were, we were in extremely fortunate, you know, um, we really, we grew through whole foods. We, they brought us in, we trialed four stores, which was kind of like their intro. And we did that for a year. And I was at the store myself, like every weekend I was at a different, at one of those four stores demoing mostly probably both days. And that was when demoing was even popular. I mean, it honestly sounds like prehistoric times now. Um, And so, so that was really key. I knew very, I was very involved and I knew exactly what was moving at which stores and, and all of that. So I had a, I had a real strong pulse on, on that. Then as soon as that happened, that was when um, Whole Foods was kind of shifting. You know, my forager lost her, the local forager lost her job and they went to a, you know, uh, a statewide forager and yep. that. And so, and you, you, you began seeing Whole Foods shifting internally because then the Amazon buyout, buyout was announced. So, um, I, they, they brought me into a region next. And so when we got 52 stores, that just, I mean, we thought, wow, oh my gosh, that's amazing, you know? And so we were, because our velocity at shelf was pretty strong. And so 52 stores was a lot of volume for us. So we, um, we then 
you know, had moved into a different kitchen so we could pick up the volume. And then when that happened, we went into our own facility and made that um, leap. And then within a year, we, we were in four regions of Whole Foods. So we really didn't have to think too much about what our next move was. Our velocity at shelf kind of propelled that and moved that, and we were trying yeah. to keep up. And then we um, pretty much began to, to project forward and realize we'd be out of capacity at our, at our then what was new facility. And um, we made a decision to build out our own facility um, at ten times the capacity. So it was a it was a big leap, but we we knew that we there was so much white space for us because we had not been all we were in was Whole Foods right and uh, nationally. So we so once you're in Whole Foods, obviously, then that then then that makes. UNFI pick you up as a distributor. So right. once you're in UNFI, then then you can get, you know, all the independents kind of pick you up organically a lot of times or your broker helps you do that. So so that's more how we spread. It wasn't strategic um, in that way because kind of our growth was dictated by the Whole Foods demand. And, um, and now, you know, then a, within a year after that, well, for a year, Whole Foods was not doing many category reviews at all because yeah. of our transition to Amazon. Yes. And then, so we kind of got that year and we couldn't go national because of that. And so um, national finally rolled out last year and, um, and we were in our new facility for that because of the capacity issues of our former facility. So um, yeah, so now, now it's more strategic how, how we're doing things. How are you doing? Um, Sean, one of the challenges, obviously, in, in any uh, startup CPG and in growing is, is funding and finance. Did you guys bootstrap or did you have a fundraising plan from the beginning or how would you handle that? We, we bootstrapped a, a good bit of it and then we raised, you know, really from family and friends yeah. along the way, kind of. Um, we, we really didn't consider our growth to be hyper growth as, as we now are looking at it. And people have looked at our growth to say, yeah, that's not high growth. It's hyper growth. And, and that does take a lot of capital. So we've been, we've, we've done around when we um, decided to build out a 37,000 square foot facility, we did around um, and we ended up not taking VC money, just, um, for you know the deals we were in at the end, the covenants sure. were too onerous, and we were we said, you know, we early on said we're never going to be, we don't want to ever be so desperate that we just take what's there, you know, take the term. So we were lucky enough to you know not have to do that. We we ended up with an individual um, who wrote that check, and um, and so. That's where we are currently. We we have a really great investor base, friends and family, and a, a few, you know, I mean, we have a billionaire that's a very successful entrepreneur and friends of friends um, at this point. But yes, we've definitely had to raise money to grow the company yeah. as quickly as we have. And that and that that's really good to have because again, your commitment to manufacturing is a capital investment and yes. that always requires, you know, you've got you kind of got I got money to I need to raise money to make it and I need to raise money to sell it, you know, both, both right. things, right? Both sides. Right. And, and it's interesting for, as an entrepreneur, cause I've, I've got a group in Santa Barbara that, you know, we talk to and there's entrepreneurs that want to hold on to a hundred percent 
uh, equity of their company and yeah. don't want to give any away, you know, but that just totally limits like, like do you want to own a hundred percent of the $10 million company or do you want to own, you know, 16 or 50 or 25% of a hundred million dollar company? You know, uh, it just, it, it, um, and, and so understanding that and knowing that with each step we took and with each investment we took, the valuation was increasing and it was, you know, our value was, I mean, always increasing with each, with each round of investment because of the valuation yes. increasing. So it's, it's hard as an entrepreneur to give up ownership of your company, but at the same time, it, you have to have that partnership to grow. Otherwise, you, you know, unless you have millions of dollars on your own, right. you know, you, you don't do that. Put into but, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Some of the, you know, because of the, the pandemic and stuff, there's been some, some deals I've, I've um, heard about that they've come back and said, oh, we need to put an uncertainty premium into the right. Yeah, and it's like, well, okay, well, it's un, it wasn't an uncertain before, you <laughs> know, and now it's like, well, maybe it's a little more uncertain. So I gotta, you know, try to try to remember that. Um, challenges, Jean, on on getting out there, and, and and again, going through Whole Foods obviously makes things easier. But um, how did you go about finding? I mean, other than UNFI, which which you had to deal with, um, distributors, brokers elsewhere. What was that process like? Um that was that was it's always a difficult process because no distributor wants you unless you have a key account an anchor account of you know really 75 to 100 stores and so you know like for for most products and if you're in the natural channel it's Kehi and UNFI those are the two distributors you know and so um I think we were with another, we were with Tony's before Tony's got bought by UNFI, sure. I think yeah. originally. You, you basically had to kind of convince a distributor to take you. We were self, we were doing self-distribution. I was doing self-distribution. We bought a truck out of a, out of a flower field in, um, out of Temecula, California for our first refrigerated truck. Excellent. And, um, yeah. And I would, I would drive that to our four stores where I was doing the direct distribution. But once you grow and get that anchor account, I mean, that's what it's all about. Otherwise you, you're kind of doing your own distribution. So that's always the challenge. And, you know, again, once you get that anchor account, then it opens it up. And the same thing with brokers, you know, it's kind of like this stair step thing. I think of our earlier brokers were kind of some normal natural channel brokers that kind of do these grassroots products. And now we've morphed on to bigger, you know, brokers that can really um, get us into conventional and crossover and um, that. So I think, yeah, I think the main thing is you're constantly morphing and changing and don't be shy about when they're not doing the job, you know, when it's, when you've outgrown their capacity or, you know, so I think that's, I think that's what you always have to be doing. I mean, that's what entrepreneurs truly, true entrepreneurs do. You're constantly morphing and changing and growing and understanding that that's going to be a constant thing. 
Yeah, and I think it's it's also a, a little bit of that marriage of, um, you know, we like to think of ourselves in the food business, um, but particularly because you guys are a refrigerated product, in case people out there are not familiar with it, but um, that, that's an, a, a secondary challenge now, both in, you know, in terms of logistics and in distribution and, and where you are in the, in the store. And so much of our distribution system, especially, and to somewhat extent broker system, was very regionally based for many years until national right consolidation started. And a lot of it still is. So a, a lot of distributors you work with are, you know, SoCal, NorCal, you know, Rocky Mountain, you know, and that's it. And you go to the East Coast and it's even more, more split up. Uh, you, know, you find brokers that work basically in New York, New Jersey. And that, right. that's it. We do stop and shop and we do, right, and we're, we're done. Right. Uh, and yet you have these national brokers and you know, Advantage, Acosta, Impact um, that have rolled up smaller ones, but they used to be regional in nature. So it's very, it's very easy to, if you're growing with any type of velocity at all, to unfortunately outstrip um, the capacity of some of those people that, uh, you know, that you're, right. you're working. I, and I, I would say where, where we currently are, which is great. I mean, up until September, this past September, I was holding down sales. All of our sales, I mean, it, we were just very fortunate. All of our sales came to us and um, I manage them. And, and so, you know, we, we've had, you know, consultants and people working on taking sales calls internally, but um, sure. and brokers, but, but no, no real sales team. So for the first time we brought on our sales team, once we knew we'd have capacity in our new facility to be able to expand. So what, what our EVP of sales has done is he's, he's assembled a broker network of best in class in each region. Like you said, it's very difficult to get one national broker that is good in all regions across the country. Um, and that's kind of his take on how he's built our broker network. So um, he's picked what he believes to be best of class in each region and manages them that way. Yeah, it's it's and and I think also uh, because both Acosta and uh, Advantage have had some financial challenges as well. Um, it, a little bit of that is I I think um, you know maybe concentrating a little too much on being big and not concentrating enough on what our original job was you know, mm, supposed right. to be. Right. Yes. And um and that and the um other profit centers of, you know, when brokers, brokerages started out doing data analysis and then that kind of got into its whole, you know, which was what my agency did. So I was going, wait a minute, it cost us in the same business. I went, Hey, wait a minute, maybe I should start brokering products. Right. Um, you know, that type of thing really got kind of off, you know, I guess I off the ball, if you will, or whatever, but, um, it's a natural inclination for that to happen because so many of the top accounts are pretty much, I mean, you can say, Kroger is certainly a national account. Uh, right. Albertsons now is acquisition Safeway. Um, you know, Walmart pretty much always has been. So it's it's those, and then there's I guess the regional powerhouses. Um, right. You know, that are there that you deal with a HEB or a Publix or a Wegmans. Mm -hmm. um, so it's um, kind of have to structure that from the Sean from the point of view of refrigerated. When you guys started out. Who was your buyer? Was your buyer dairy or how, how'd you do that? Yes. In Whole Foods, it's dairy. Dairy, okay. Um, 
And, and so we were, we were committed to being in the refrigerated section. We, um, we believed that the outer aisle of the grocery store was where you wanted to shop if you were shopping healthy, hence our name. And we, and we were really committed to refrigerated. We, we, knew that there was more traffic in refrigerated than frozen and just just the appeal of fresh over frozen for people who want to eat healthy and we wanted to align ourselves with that mindset um and so because obviously our product was not going to be in center store for the masses you know we're not competing against a loaf of bread anybody who's eating that is not going to be eating our product you know? For sure. And yeah. in, in speaking of Outer Isle, um, if folks need, want to find more information on the company and the products, where do they go? www.outerislegourmet.com. There you go. Outerislegourmet.com. Um, yeah. And, and, and do you have on the website, I, I didn't uh, take an a in-depth look, do you have the uh, spinach and Swiss quiche recipe on there? Yes, we have. We should have all of our recipes are, are there. And okay, so all right, confession. I added chopped ham, but my my wife and I absolutely loved it. It's just it's just awesome. Yeah, and uh, awesome. I'm looking forward to doing the taco night this weekend because Good. that's one of the things you know in trying to cut down on carbs. One of the things that uh, we missed was the, was the tacos. Yeah, the taco shells. Yep. So it'll be it'll be great for that. Um, Without getting into uh, anything proprietary or whatever, Jean, what's what's coming down the road? Oh, we've got. Um, we really haven't even been able to um, release our innovations, um, you know, due to Expo yeah. East and Expo oh, West being yeah. canceled. Yeah. And and frankly, we've held off on our on our innovations until our distribution channel has opened up a bit more. Um, we don't want to waste our innovations when we, you know, we have a ton of white space. Like I said, Whole Foods is still our national anchor account. And um, we've got, we've currently got a ton happening right now that will, will really change that um, in the next two months, actually. Um, so, but our innovations will, will release a new flavor skew that's really awesome. Um, and then soon we'll be releasing a new, um, a, another, a very exciting product. So, Excellent. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned the absence of our, our trade shows and stuff. So yeah. how, how are you and the sales team um, dealing with the, the folks at Whole Foods and other places now? And, um, you know, is well, it Zooming like we're doing or how, how are we doing that? Well, actually, as, as you know, for, you know, Expo East and Expo West is kind of like the prom, like you have to be there and you have to show up and you have to be in front of everybody. But um, there's not a whole lot of actual buying business that gets done at those shows. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you meet a ton of people, but so our guys, our sales guys are continuing to, to be, reach out to their you know, they're buyers. Some buyers have pushed off meetings and are not accepting meetings. We're having, they're having Zoom meetings and Zoom presentations. Um, but yeah, we, we were, we've closed some big, our big, you know, retail accounts in the middle of all this. So we were very, very fortunate that um, we got word right as COVID, the week after COVID quarantine was announced, you know, we got right. two big retailers were announced. So while things got pushed off a little bit, 
it seems that buyers are now kind of, you know, opening their eyes a bit and, you know, um, and beginning to, to realize, you know, they, they need, they need the new products. And oh, there's need- space, space on the shelf. Um, yeah. you know, I think that, yeah. that the push, I, I had a couple of folks on the, on the program a while back from range me and mm-hmm. we we're talking about, you know, digital purchasing cycle and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, so if you and I personally have probably both increased our online purchasing during the, the lockdown, um, you know, the buyers have got to be thinking, you know, I, I, I've got to get this order. I got to do, I got to refill if, if nothing else. Right. Right. I can't stop. You know, what are we going to do for, you know, now we'd be working on, you know, uh, first quarter Q1, Q1 21. Right. Um, you know, what am I going to get for Valentine's Day? And that can't stop because right. you know, the, the supply chain, I, I got to make those decisions like now. And right. I just was working with a, a client we launched on walmart.com and same thing. It was all Zoom. Broker was in Chicago. We were in, you know, California and Idaho and uh, the buyer was in Bentonville. Yeah. And um, lovely folks. Great. But, you know, sent the samples, you know, Everything was fine, but mm-hmm. transaction done and nobody got on a plane. Yeah. Uh, somebody's going to figure out that that was probably a lot more efficient. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I mean, and I want to meet, I have not met this particular buyer. I want to meet the buyer, of course, at some point in time, but I'm just glad the deal's done. Right. Oh, right? exactly. We just yeah. move forward. And I think that's going to become more prevalent, mm-hmm. I think, as we go forward. We kind of have to be prepared on that. Yeah, um, Definitely. Uh, E- e-commerce, Sean, are you guys, uh, has that increased? Are you doing a lot of that? Was that big in your plans? How'd that work? Um, e-commerce originally was not big in our plans, but we realized we needed to do something because, you know, once you're on social media, it becomes, you know, people want your product. So you have to figure out shipping. Um, our, our e-commerce really took off two years ago. We had a, uh, and we kind of began adding, um, fuel to that fire. So our e-commerce is very, very strong channel for us. And um, it's growing during COVID. Um, yeah. We're up and strong. And yeah, I mean, we, we're shipping a refrigerated product, which is dicey, but our product is is made with 63% fresh cauliflower, but it's baked. So really... Yeah you know, you, you have that, that kind of seal when you bake it. it, it sets the product. So you're not at risk. We actually have five days um, of ambient shelf life. We just don't really, we just don't talk about that because we don't want anybody really stressing the product or we, five days of shelf life is nothing, but it helps for people to know because like I, I always pack mine with me wherever I go. I pop it in my purse, and you know, if I'm going, if we go for a burger, I just toss the bun and use the cauliflower sandwich thins for the bun. And if we go and we want to have tacos, I just toss the the tortillas and I I use the sandwich thins. So they're good if you're like going for a long weekend. You can keep sure. them, pack them in your suitcase, and take them with you. So we like for people to know that convenience, but. So, so that's a little challenging, just, you know, the ice packs and the heaviness of it, but we've been, we've been able to manage it. Our D2C team is amazing and um, yeah, we're, we're continuing to really grow that. I, I, I have to try the burger thing at, at a burger joint I go to. 
Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Like so good. And there's something about eating a burger with a bun, like the lettuce wrap, the cold, wet lettuce just does not. That doesn't do it. No, no. no. It it's, it's, it's okay for, for, you know, Korean chicken. That's right. It's fine. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and, and eating, as we all know, I mean, there's such a psychological component to it. I mean, the, you just want to feel like you're having a sandwich, you know? It, right. it, it, and a lettuce wrap just doesn't make you feel like you're having a sandwich, you know? Uh, yep. So, uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> that always works. Um, so, John, in, in, in going back over, and, and you guys have had just amazing growth, and um, it's, a, it's a really good entrepreneurial story. What's one of the bigger challenges that you had to overcome? Did you run into a stumbling block of some kind that you thought maybe you weren't going to get over? Um, I would say when we were, you know, in the first phase, in the first initial phases, there's lots of times when you go, I don't know if this is going to work. I mean, when, when the numbers aren't penciling out, when you can't get a wholesaler to even give you a, an idea on what wholesale costs were. I was buying all of our um, ingredients from Trader Joe's retail for my <laughs> R&D because mm, yeah. uh, uh a distributor or um, a wholesaler will not give you a, a wholesale account, really. I mean, you know, we, we were buying a case of cauliflower heads, you know, and so sure. it's so minimal what you're buying and you're buying it once a week. It's honestly, Trader Joe's prices were cheaper than, than the local distributor was. So, um, so anyway, that, that was probably a big challenge because I had to believe that there was going to be a percentage reduction and I had to know that I could trust that, you know, that, that we will be able to get our cost down. So one of the big things too, um, as you know, cauliflower is a commodity and um, we yep. launched that year that cauliflower went up oh. to like 65 cases, oh. $5 a case. Right. And so that initially was kind of like, ah, oh, you see, this is what can happen with a commodity-based product. But, you know, since then we were able to overcome that and really, you know, we, we survived that, that which to me was like the, the craziest thing. Um, and we were able to survive that as a small brand, a very, very small brand. And, um, and now we're locked into, you know, we're not, our price does not go up and down like a commodity. Sure. Locked into contracts. Uh, there, yeah, there, there is, um, I think, an aspect I, I call it in, in doing classes and workshops, I call it gap, which is the gap that exists. So you're buying five gallon, you know, five gallons of, of uh, vanilla or whatever. And your next price break doesn't come until the 55-gallon drum. Right. So that's a 10x volume increase you have to commit to before you get your next price break. Other right. than that, you're just buying six or seven five-gallon pails. And, and that's a really tough thing for, I think, a lot of um, food and beverage entrepreneurs to deal with is that idea of, okay, I'm, I'm gonna I know I can reduce my cogs somehow, but when is that going to happen? And where right. along the line with each of the components – that I have in the, in the ingredient, in the formula, um, you know, where is that going to happen and how is that going to affect my, you know, my cash flow? obviously. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I think early on I had a meeting with our consultant and um, 
my husband, who is the, the attorney, both of those guys were doing the numbers on, on our thing. And they, they met with me and just said, look, I really don't, I can remember the day, you know, I probably have it in one of my journals. Um, and they, they, where they called a meeting on a Sunday afternoon and they said, we really don't think this is going to pencil out. And I, you know, I'm from a family of 13 and I'm, and I'm, I'm just very like, you, I'm kind of one of those, like, you tell me I can't do it and you just like, I'm a silent, like I get that internal thing that yeah. drives me yeah. and I'm kind of like, watch me. I won't say anything outside, but I just do it. I go into action mode. So I was so mad after that meeting. I didn't want to talk to either of them. And I left. I'm like, don't even talk to me. I'm like, I'm just going to go for a drive. I'm going to pull myself together. I gave myself the afternoon to be, you know, whiny. And the next morning I woke up, I'm like, pull yourself up, pull yourself by the bootstraps. I got on the phone with the distributor and made, and I finally got them to give me prices. And I reduced my cogs by 50% within one, oh, in yeah. one day. And they, I came back to them and showed them that. And they're like, how did you do that? I'm like, I just did it, you know? And so, so then it was like, okay, then let's do this, you know? Because that was the whole thing is, is this going to pencil out, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, as an entrepreneur and as somebody, you know, when you're convinced you have a product and you have a niche, the tenacity and the drive has got to be what always stays because uh, there are obstacles, you know, and landmines, you know, all over the place. And you just have to be driven and committed to overcome and never give up on that. And, and that's uh, one of the things that, that we do, uh, Jean, for the program for, for guests is uh, we try to get them to nail down one of those things. And uh, I think you hit yours already. I think tenacity. Mm -hmm. Tenacity staying, would be my thing. Yeah. Tenacity would be absolutely. the one thing. Yeah. Because it's, uh, there's a, that wasn't the only point where you might have considered stopping. There were other points too. But each one of those, you have the tenacity you have to work through. And I think sometimes that just makes you no know, sense. I think. Uh, yeah, it, it, I think that's great. I, I, I love the idea. And that's something that, you know, all, all entrepreneurs and certainly successful entrepreneurs should, should know and, and, uh, and live by. But, uh, but anyway, I just want to say, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and share the story. It's great. Um, and it's a, it's a great product as well, folks. You can find more information, uh, obviously at, at your Whole Foods, but also at OuterIsleGourmet.com and uh, try some of the recipes um, because uh, they're delicious and, and it, uh, it really works. So thank you, Jean, for being with us. Thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation and look forward to more conversations. Absolutely. We're going to have you back on. We're going to talk about whatever the next, uh, when you build a factory east of the Mississippi, that's what we'll do. When you, yeah. <laughs> when you it's wonderful. Thank you so much. And hey, thanks to all of you for joining us on today on the podcast. Our podcast brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. You can check out our free webinar archive at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at Next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.